Promotion Man, the true backstories of the most iconic bands in the world told by Fred Myers and interviewed by me, L.A. Lloyd. Get involved and interact on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find the links at promotion-man.com. That's promotion-man.com. Download the weekly Promotion Man podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Okay, hey. Hello, Alice. Hey, Alice. Hey. How you guys doing? Doing great. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, you know, LA, uh, Phoenix right now is uh, in the hundreds every day. Yeah. But... Uh, we we kind of we're used to that. We kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we're in Austin, Texas, and you know we just have the humidity and the heat right now. Right. And tornadoes. Tornadoes yeah. and lots of rain. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alice, the last we, time. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Please. So, the last time that we uh, talked to you, you were coming to Cedar Park to play a show. It was 2019. Yes. Wow. That seems like a, an eternity ago. It does. Right? And, and I yeah. have to tell you, it was such a great show. I oh. mean, it was such oh, a you. great show. And then we had a chance. Well, that band, that band is like a hand-picked. I mean, everybody in that band, and not only are they the best players, but they're all best friends. Nice. Which makes life for me so easy because everybody is always laughing. Nobody, you never hear any ego <laughs> trips. You never hear anybody, you know, complaining about, oh, my solo wasn't loud enough. You know, they're, they're all best friends. Well, you can tell because there's definitely a great energy up there. And when I met you backstage, um, I had said to you, I said, Alice, that band is great. And you said to me, I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny thing is, is it's the same thing with the Hollywood vampires. It's mm. the Holly, it's, uh, with Johnny Depp and Joe Perry and, you know, a bunch of guys from Aerosmith and things like that. Uh, that band also, we've been together seven years and wow. there's never been one argument in that band. I've never heard one person argue about anything. Well, you know so that you put the right people together. Yeah. And, and honestly, it can be, it can really be fun if you have the right people. Well, and it's funny because we had Wayne Kramer do a show with us and he said to us, and you could even hear it in his voice. He said, the rehearsals and the sh- stuff that we're doing with breadcrumbs was so much fun. And right. he, he really got into it, and, and he just said it was so much fun. He said, I look forward to the rehearsals, and the and it, that was a great time for him. Well, he, you know, I mean, I remember we played with, you know, the MC5 back in 1969, 1970 <laughs> in Detroit all the time. Uh, same with the Stooges and all those bands. And he's a better guitar player now than he was then. Really? Uh, so uh, when he plugged in and played, you know, when I, when I put the band together in Detroit, I said, I want the best Detroit band I can get. Johnny B on drums from Mitch Ryder. He's the ultimate Detroit drummer. D- totally. And, you know, Wayne Kramer. When I had those two guys, those guys are Detroit. <laughs> no they doubt. are so street Detroit that you couldn't get more Detroit than them. And then I wrapped a bunch of other guys around them and realized that you couldn't do this album layered like you would do for Welcome to My Nightmare or something like that, which mm-hmm. is a production. I said, this band needs to play live. So we all the tracks on the album were all live. Wow. I have to tell you, I love Detroit City 2020. Yeah, me too. And Toby was telling me, he, him and I were on the phone last night, and he said that was kind of a, a older a remake of an older version you had done back uh, a while ago. Yeah. But 
what a great rock song uh, Detroit City 2020 is. And then for you to be able to recall all the different musicians that have come out of Detroit. I feel like I hear a different musician every time I listen to that song. I think I know all the lyrics, and then I'll hear another one. I was like, oh, I didn't hear that one the first time around. It's cool. Well, and then, the funny thing was I was I was talking about, you know, that uh, Iggy and I were – Gigging with Bowie and right. you know and and, uh, and and kicking with the D, uh, the MC5 and I was talking about how Eminem and Kid Rock <laughs> and the, the Posse were children <laughs> yeah, yeah. when we were doing this. They, <laughs> exactly. You know they were kids. They were just kids. <laughs> That's uh, right. Well, let's talk about Detroit Stories a little bit because Breadcrumbs was the EP, correct? Yes, that led you into the album. Exactly, right. and. And so tell us more about the album, um, Detroit Stories. The whole idea behind it was Bob Ezrin and I decided, let's do, let's not do a concept album this time. Well, Paranormal was conceptual. All of those albums that Bob and I do are conceptual albums. Mm-hmm. And then this way I said, let's just do 12 great rocks, like uh, a la ACDC, where every song is just a little gem, you know? And... We talk about where where are we going to do this, and we say, well, we can't really do that in Nashville. We can't really do that in L.A. or New York. And of course, we went well. Let's just go to the home of hard rock, Detroit. Mm. And so we went there. And then the then the concept raised its ugly head, and we said, <laughs> well, why don't we write the songs in Detroit, and then use all Detroit players? Yeah. And and then it became a concept. Then I, I said, well, then if we're going to do that, we have to hit. We have to do Motown. We have to do blues, we have to do punk, we have to do hard rock, we have to do, you know, in other words, all the things that make Detroit, Detroit, musically, we're going to have to touch on every one of those. And that was the fun part of it. You take a song like $1,000 High Heel Shoes, which was a rock song, and add horns, Detroit horns to it, and uh, Sister Sledge on background, singing, and you got a Motown song. Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize you had Sister, Se- S- Sister Sledge in there. With that. Yeah, they were the ones doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> nice. That's so that great. You guys should have went into a cover, song. We Are Family. <laughs> yeah, you know, that could have gone right into that. Uh, but then, you know, you said, well, we need a blues song, Detroit blues, Chicago blues. So we wrote this song, you know, uh, about a guy that lives in a box, basically a cardboard box under a bridge somewhere in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And he's in love with the girl that's on the other side of the bridge that lives in a box. And Now, that love affair is just as <laughs> valid as Romeo and Juliet. Right. Yeah. So let's write what their love affair would be. And Joe, bon- the only guy not from Detroit was Joe Bonamassa. We made him an honorary Detroiter. <laughs> and, uh, so, and I wanted him to play on that, him and Steve Hunter to play blues guitar on that. And... And then I selfishly said, "Well, I'm playing harmonica on it, a harp." So, because I didn't, I haven't gotten to play blues harp in 30 years, you know. And uh, so it was great to to have that aspect of Detroit. Did you? you know? uh, so, yeah, every single song was a different aspect of Detroit. So, with Joe and the and the uh, new Detroiters, as you as you'd christened them, did you make them eat White Castles? <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't have to make them. Yeah. You know, if you live in Detroit, you you live on White Castles <laughs> I know, and right? Werner's ginger ale or yeah. throws beer. Yeah, that is exactly <laughs> right. And Lay's potato Throw's chips. Beer used to be sixty nine cents a six pack. 
Oh, my God. So, Alice, when you go back to Detroit, I mean, is it like a homecoming or is it like you never left? I mean, what is what is the vibe in your brain and your personality when you're actually there, you know, recording with some of your fellow Detroit musicians? You know, out of all the cities that we play, um, I was born in Detroit, so that's in my DNA anyways, hard rock is. Yeah. And then going back to Detroit, where the band became successful, you know, being from Detroit, uh, 18 came out of there, and, uh, you know, Love It to Death came out of there. So we were now a Detroit band, and, and proud to be from there. Uh, so every time I land in Detroit, I feel, and, and it's not just me, every band that goes on tour looks at Detroit as a target city. You better play your best rock and roll there mm. because that city expects you to kill them. They don't want light rock. They don't want, you know, soft rock. They want their bands to be in your face, you know? Yeah. And that's why hard rock is just so important there. They all, you know, back in those days, people worked in the car factories and they wanted their bands to kind of be as loud as the machines. <laughs> and that's, and you know, it was sort of a no BS place. Yeah. It was Detroit. There was, there was your, your bands were right in your face and that was it. Just you know, everyone no had a had a blue collar mentality, I guess. No it, matter if you were a musician or working yeah. on a car. And the thing of it is, yeah, it is was, it was the, no, the, so, you know, there was no not sophisticated at all. It was just pure street hard rock. Yeah. And the bands that flourished there were like Kiss and Jay Giles and Aerosmith yeah. that really weren't from Detroit, but Detroit kind of welcomed them because just like what Alice had said, they brought their A game and they just delivered. Yeah. Everybody, I you know it's funny. I had dinner the other night with uh, with Elton John and Bernie Taupin, and we were sitting there. And I, Elton says, "I used to love playing the East Town and the Grandy Ballroom in Detroit." He said that was real rock and roll, and I went, "Absolutely, that was the best." It would be like Alice Cooper, um, the MC5, the Stooges, and the Who. A <laughs> <laughs> place held eleven hundred people. Wow, you know. And then the next night, it would be Bob Seger, Ted Nugent, and the Amboy Dukes, and Savoy Brown, or or the Small Faces. Yeah. You know, I mean, in that city, that was it. You know, you better bring it in Detroit. That's just so great. And you know, the when we talked over a year ago, back in 2019, when you were coming to Cedar Park, I had reminded you that I had just started Warner Brothers as their local. And um, you and Bernie had come to see the Talking Heads play. So there was a picture of me and you, Richard Woolard and Bernie Tompin. And then <laughs> there was another photo of all of us with the Talking Heads at the same time. And um, it's just so wild that you had just mentioned that you had dinner with Bernie and Elton not too long ago. Yeah, it, well, it was Bernie's 70th birthday. Oh, And, wow. uh, and you know, uh, Bernie and I actually... Uh, we did an album together. We did the From the Inside album. Yeah. With David Foster together. We did both did the lyrics on that one. And uh, it was really, really good to see them. And I found out something from David Byrne that night. You know, he said, um, you know, Psycho Killer was written about you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> went, what? I know. Goes, we played, they opened for us in, in Rhode Island when, when we were both just young bands starting out. We were headlining. They came on. 
and he watched our show, and he says, then he wrote Psycho Killer. <laughs> and, and here's the great part about that. We had Chris Franz, the drummer of the Talking Heads, on the show, and he had told us that that was the very first song they ever wrote together. Oh, wow. And he remembers yeah. David coming to Tina because Tina wa- spoke French. Her mother was French. And David was looking for some sort of bridge, mm-hmm. you know, and asked Tina if she would do that. And so they actually told, you know, it, it was such a great interview because it was after we had already talked to you. And it just kind of confirmed everything. Oh, you know, the, the great thing about that band, have you seen his show uh, or a video of his show? On I Broadway? have. American Utopia, is it called? Yeah. It's so original. I mean, that guy is one of the originals, American originals right there. That he is. Uh, He just, uh, you know, and it's not necessarily my kind of music, but the way it's put together is something like I went, only he could put this together. Yeah, yeah, I can see exactly what you're saying. But but that's what brings us back to you. I'm so proud of of you constantly putting out new and challenging things yeah i mean when i first heard detroit city 2020 it's just a hit it's a rock and roll hit and what i love about you alice is that you just have got this uh ability to continue to put out really relevant things and you have all these different projects And it's just so cool to see you do all of these different things. And we're very excited to have you back in Cedar Park coming up here um, on this new tour. For sure. And and we cannot cannot wait to get there, too. We can't wait to get anywhere out there on tour. But we looked at the schedule. We've got about 25 or 30 shows. And and my, my players are literally giddy. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) Uh, Just about rehearsing. Yeah, you know everybody just you mean we get to go in the car, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. old dogs. You know we get to go in the car. Yeah, yeah, we get to go on tour. Uh, every band I know has got that same attitude. Well, everybody wh- cannot wait to get out there. You know we uh, we brought up Kiss a little bit, and of course Ace Frehley is going to be uh, your support act there. So you know, yeah. tell me tell me your relationship with him. Obviously, we we go back to the original Kiss days, but how about in the modern day? What's your relationship with him now? Well, you know, it's one of those things where you you look for rock guys, guys that are rock and roll guys, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's one guy that you could depend on every single night to yeah, bring it right you know and uh so we've worked with him before we we're gonna we we last year we were gonna be it was gonna be us and tesla and lita ford oh wow well i personally wanted to see lita ford and nita uh on stage together yeah i mean she was she's voted like guitarist of the decade she's so good and uh those two belongs together with <laughs> guitars. They're both killer players. Wow. And I just think that's a great, great little package. But uh, Ace, you know, I mean, we've worked with him before. And uh, First of all, the funny thing is that if you look at the bands that opened for us, every single one became superstars. Yep. We, we took out Guns N' Roses. We took out ACDC. <laughs> we took out ZZ Top. Wow. Blondie. <laughs> you know, the list goes on and on and on, and every single one of the acts that opened for us ended up being a major star. 
So everybody was kind of looking for that place. I, let's open for Alice because it's a good luck spot. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right. Well, no, no doubt about it. Now, I have to tell you something. We had Danny Zalisco on yeah. a couple weeks ago. That was great. Oh, oh. I'll pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. He was so funny. He was so funny. And he had told the funniest story that I don't know if you've heard it or not. So I wanted to tell you because he was just getting introduced to the whole concert promoter thing. And Bill Graham um, had him come in uh, to help. And he said that he was going backstage for something. And Bill Graham and Shep Gordon were in this all-out fight. And and he said it spilled from one room to another room to another room. Oh, yeah. And he said it was all because um, they kicked your father out of backstage because he didn't have his backstage pass. And right. Shep went ballistic and they <laughs> thought and the way Danny described it, Danny's a character. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's great. Great. So yeah. did you know uh, Well here's the deal the, the the truth of this is is if that was the only time that happened, it would be unique. Shep <laughs> and Bill Graham fist fought all the time. Really? It was these two kids from Brooklyn, right? <laughs> I mean, they were both New York City tough guys. And I remember Shep going in to get the money after a show and closed the door. <laughs> and it just sounded like, it sounded like Peter Griffin and the rooster, you know, <laughs> like in Family Guy yeah. when they fight for 20 minutes. And Shep would come out with a bloody nose and Bill would have a black eye and, and they would walk out and Bill would say, see you next time, Shep. And Shep would say, yeah, see you, Bill. <laughs> they just loved the fist fight. Oh I mean, it was very weird. That is yeah, so and, funny. And it's, it's a true story. I mean that's an absolute true story. That's so weird because when if I you watched been about my dad, if it wouldn't have been about my dad, it would have been about something, something else. else, right? You know, and yeah. he just seems like such a laid back guy. I've seen these you know documentaries on Shep, and he's he's so laid back in his Hawaii home there, and I just don't picture this guy as a fist fighter, but I guess so. Well, back in the day, he was not the guy from Maui. <laughs> he was an entirely different entirely guy. different guy. And, okay. uh, yeah, you didn't want to mess with him. I mean, all those guys, all the you know the the managers and the promoters all had to be tough guys. Yeah. You know, because they, there there was money involved and there was all kinds of things going on. And you, to collect the money, you better be ready to fight. Right. Well, I tell you what, everybody we've interviewed that had any sort of relationship with you always brings up Shep Gordon and what a great manager he was. Oh, Murray yes. Nagel, who was with Warner Brothers for forever, actually. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know, the bands that we really had a good time with and the bands that really we were able to push as far as possible had management that would work with us yeah. and that would help us yeah. and assist us. And I wish someday we could interview Shep on this show because... Oh, he's, you'd, you'd love him. I, yeah. and, and he's so endeared by so many different people. So if you could ever help us hook that up. I mean, <laughs> he's just such a good guy. And, of course, after we saw your show in 2019 and I got a chance to say hi to you backstage, I started to look at some of the documentaries that are out there on you. And I suggest to all the listeners that are listening to the show, go go do some surfing on some of these documentaries about Alice Cooper. It's just fascinating and the catalog of hits that Alice has is just continuous. 
They go on and on well, and know, on. Yeah, there's a, there's one <clears throat> on Shep that Mike Myers did. Yeah, it's right. amazing. Uh, Super that, that that is amazing. And you know how many managers get documentaries made about them? Right. I mean, this guy. I've been with him 52 years. Wow. <laughs> we still don't have a contract. <laughs> Love that. We never have. We never. We never will. And we still, you know, talk daily about. Okay, what do you want to do? I never question him on anything. He, you know, we talk about the show and things like. I never once have ever said to him, uh, "How much do we make tonight?" Wow. That that's not my. I don't care. I just go look. I know we did well. And he goes, "Yeah, we did good." At the end of the year, then you know, he says, "Okay, this is what we made. This is what we paid in taxes, and everything's good." Right. And I, I go, "Okay." I never have to like audit, you know, or anything like that. Other bands have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I feel sorry for other bands, you know, because everybody wants the relationship I have with Shep. Yeah. No question about it. And then his story in Supermensch was just so fascinating how he went from Brooklyn to L.A., goes to this roadside hotel <laughs> where you are, where Janis Joplin is, yeah, where how does that happen? Jim Morrison is, <laughs> and he walks into a yep. room where everyone's smoking pot, and it happens to be all of them together, and it's wow. like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. it's, uh, it's, it's truly amazing. And here's the funny thing. Now, we, we are talking about actually at, at some point uh, going out and doing like a, a, a speaking tour, just him and I. And the funny thing about it is that if you ask him a question of what happened here and ask me about what happened, two entirely different stories. <laughs> I love that. And we can't remember which one is correct because you have to remember we were both on different drugs at the same time. <laughs> and... Uh, and I always oh, laugh so when people say, you know, when you read like a Keith Richards, you know, uh, autobiography or anybody from that era, and they go, and then I said to Mick, and I'm going, wait, he can't remember what he had for lunch. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's in 1963, he said this to Mick. Right. You know, it should be, I think this is what I might have said to yeah. Mick. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Hey, I wanted to backtrack just a bit, you know, talking about Elton John and these documentaries and, and biopics. I mean, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody won all the awards. It was an amazing movie. You had Rocket Man about Elton. Do you like these yep. biopics, and do you think we'll ever see one about Alice? Oh, great well, you know, question. Hollywood is always going to put its touch on it. Right. Hollywood's always going to give it the Hollywood version. You know, when people believe that backstage is the Hollywood version, no, there are no naked girls running around. Uh, there's a bunch of fat guys moving amps right. with spaghetti stains on their shirts. That's, that's the glamour of backstage. Uh, but in the 70s, yes, there were naked girls running around. And it's a different world now there. But, um, you know, if, uh, I, I laughingly said, they said, well, what, who would you have play you? And I said, well... <laughs> If Johnny Depp were just better looking, he could play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so uh, funny. All right. Yeah, I, 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 so I don't know who would. would I, would I got the perfect person. Either. I got the perfect person for you. Jared Leto, because you're prettier than oh, him. Oh, my God. But Jared Leto might be a good ally. He could probably pull you know it what? off. He probably could, too. He's a great actor. He's a great he, actor. He's like Johnny. He doesn't mind going into prosthetics. You know, of course, I, I don't think he would break his nose on purpose, but, 
You know, uh, Johnny's like that. I don't think half of John, more, more movies than not, Johnny is in prosthetics. Yeah. Playing right. some character. I always call him the modern day Lon Chaney. Yeah, that's a good idea. He's a man of a thousand faces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's true. All right, Alice, I have a question for you. Let's talk about cars. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, now you're talking. See, because <laughs> Wayne Kramer was telling us how um, you had gotten, not the Demon, you you got the Hellcat, which is like, what, 800 horsepower Challenger? 815. Eight, wow. Eight, and he says he was you let Wayne Kramer drive around Hollywood Hills, which there was nowhere to go fast, really. <laughs> And well, you've got all this muscle under there and no place to put it. Right, know? exactly. And then, of course, uh, I, I brought it up with Danny Zalisco, and he goes, oh, my God, Alice has got more cars. He says he ch- he has, he changes out cars the way I change out socks. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, I'll tell you the four cars. Okay. The four main cars. I've got a, uh, I got a new Corvette. Stingray. Nice. What, what color? Great, great car. And I'm not a Chevy guy, but the Corvettes are great. They're badass. Got a red. Red, red. okay. Yeah. Okay, now, the next three cars are very unique. I, I just got a 2003 uh, Vanquish Aston Martin. Wow, nice. And, and the reason I got that that year was because that I love the old body style, the older body yes, style. Yes, yes. Uh, it was, I think, from Die Another Day, you know, that one of those, that the one that kept disappearing in the movie. Yeah. That, I wanted that body style, so I just got that. What color but is that the one? The two cars are, it's silver. Oh, you know, silver. It's nice. Perfect. Very, very James Bond. Very yeah. James Bond. Very. <laughs> and now the other two are really unique. Uh, the other car is a 68 Bullet Mustang. Wow. Oh, beautiful. And what it is, is I had it built from the ground up. 426 so or bigger? It's a brand new. Nice. Even better. It's a brand new Mustang underneath. Nice. Right? Uh, coyote engine in it. So it's brand new. Wow. With a 68 body body on top. And it looks exactly like the movie. That is so Craig great. Craig wheels, Craig mags. You know, Craig oh mags. That's so badass. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, you look at it and you go, was that the one in the movie? You go, no, but it's an exact concept. Now, the, the other one is, this is the story. My favorite car was always the 1963 Studebaker Avanti. Mm. I loved the Studebaker Avanti. It was the, more, it was the most, so high-styled compared to anything else. And they're very rare. So I found one, an auto trader, in Portland, Oregon. We brought it down. It was, body was Straight, nothing wrong with it at all. Hmm. And they're putting a, a radiator in, you know, because Arizona, you got to have a bigger radiator. And there's old, there's some older guy standing there looking at the car, and he goes, "Whose car is this?" It's a white one with turquoise interior, right? Oh, nice. And that guy says, "He says uh, Salas Cooper's," and he goes, "FBI." <laughs> and everybody went, "What?" And he goes, no, no, I'm retired. <laughs> Let me check the, he says, Let me check the VIN number on this. Checks the VIN number, and he says, in 1965, I busted a Soviet spy in this car. No what? way. <laughs> no and way. Everybody went, what? And a guy, he says, the guy's name was Markov. He was KGB. He was, he was totally uh, right and, you know, during the Cold War. And he says he was over here, and he was stupid enough to be driving around. In a really unique car. Yeah. He says that I walked up to the window and I tapped on the window. He rolled it down. I put the gun up to his head and I said, let's go, Markov. (laughs) And he got up and he went to Leavenworth. 
He says, the reason I, I remember it, because it was the only white one I've ever seen with turquoise interior. Unbelievable. So now, what are the odds? get rid of that car. And, yeah, and, no what doubt. Are the, and, and what are the odds that you've run into this guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. What it, a story. It, it, I mean, I never would have known that about the car. Ever. You know? And so, uh, you know, I told the guy, I, I, now I sent it to the count in, in Las Vegas, counting cars. Yeah. And he's redoing the whole thing. So it's going to be absolutely, you know, showroom perfect. I said, but... Since it is a spy car, spy car, I said, do one little thing for me. I said, when I press this button, I want a little tray to come out with my Walter PPK in there. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, good idea. Oh, so hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Well, obviously, we're from Detroit, and we love cars. Well, let me ask you this, since you both are Detroiters. I just interviewed a spokesman from Ford uh, when they debuted that uh, new Ford F-150 electric yes. pickup. So, yeah. you know, and I asked him, I oh, was like, look. What? What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What so, so listen to this, Alice. The, yeah. Their biggest seller, the Ford F-150, they're coming out yeah. all electric, and where the engine used to be, you open it, and it's actually a storage with a, a drain, so you could actually make it, you know, a, a cooler. Right. They call, just, they call it a frunk. A frunk. Right. Yeah, it's a frunk. <laughs> That's so exactly. what's your thoughts on electric vehicles? I mean, I know you're a guy who loves big engines. I mean, do you, and obviously it's kind of the wave of the future, but what's your feelings on electric a cars? A frunk. Uh, you know, I was so surprised. Shep, I was in Maui, and Shep goes, uh, I, I said, I need to borrow your car. And he goes, okay. He said, oh, be careful. He said, it's really fast. <laughs> and I'm looking at this Tesla going, yeah, it looks really fast. <laughs> I said, Shep, I drive an 815 horsepower <laughs> Hellcat. And he goes, trust me. And I got in the car, stepped on it, and was gone. That thing was immediate. Immediate. Speed. Immediate. And I could not believe how fast yep. that these little Teslas are. Yeah. Now, I understand that the Tesla Roadster, the one they're coming out with, is, I think they said, 250 miles an hour. Wow. And 1.9 in the quarter mile. Oh, my God. And it's electric. <laughs> oh That's my. insane. And I That's went, insane. Well, immediately I went, well, I got to have that. <laughs> <laughs> So oh, I'm not against the electric cars at all, yeah. as long as they have performance. You right. know, if they if they have performance, great. I don't think I don't think gas cars will ever be gone. But you know, uh, I can see the future of the electric electric cars, and I think they're going to get better and better and better and better as they go on. Of course, mm -hmm. and of course, it's going to be much much better for the you know for the environment. Sure. I'm not a big environment. I'm not a tree hugger. But I can see how that will change L.A. a lot, Absolutely. you know, in big cities. Yeah, no doubt. So um, before we knew you were calling in, we were looking at different questions we wanted to ask you. And there was one about a game show. Right, right. I wanted to talk about No Cover that you did with Lizzie, who, you know, was Hailstorm was one of the opening acts for the shows we saw, which was and, amazing. And we, and we love Lizzie Hale. Yeah, love Liz, her. Lizzie's, oh, she's uh, great. Lizzie, she's, we, we toured with Lizzie, and she was, she was great. Love her. So tell me about the show No Cover. I mean, I kind of know the concept is bands come in, they play their original songs, hence the No Cover yeah. thing. I guess you guys have already done this, but I have no idea where to see it or when to see it. So can you update me and on that? There's, 
I think they're still shopping it, and at the same time, it's going to really be a great show. Gavin I mean, Rossdale on there. Oh, really? Yeah. Everybody on the panel there, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, Bishop Briggs right. uh, uh, was there. And uh, How did this feel different okay. when you look at, a, at American Idol or The Voice? I mean, obviously they're rock acts, uh, and they're doing original stuff. But, you know, how did it feel different for you being on a panel there? Well, for me, it was it was much more. I I was much more comfortable doing it, only because of the fact I said a long time ago, winning on American Idol. I would say eighty percent of those people end up on Carnival cruises. Yeah, that's true. Singing in the lounge, right? Only because anybody can sing a Burt Bacharach song. Exactly. Anybody can sing a Beatles song. Exactly. There's a lot of good singers out there, but show me somebody that writes their own material Mm -hmm. and sings it and makes me believe it. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm looking for. How, how long would Bob Dylan last on American Idol? <laughs> <laughs> Not very you know, long. I mean, he wouldn't get he wouldn't get past the first rehearsal, right, you know, right. uh, because he's so unique, and that's not what they're looking for on that show. On this show, we were looking for, wow, you did something different, and it was great, and it's really going to be good if it works. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there were two or three bands. I can only tell you this, that literally knocked me out. That's great. And they were, uh, because they were not just good musicians and good singers, they were totally original. Mm. And I, I, I thought it, everything had been done. And I got, and I, I, I prejudged two of them and just kind of went, oh boy, this is going to be. And then I, I ended up doing a standing ovation with everybody in the, in the <laughs> whole room That's when so they great. were done. That's so great. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I was absolutely floored by two or three of these acts. And, you know, the rest of them, I kind of went, oh, they're really good, but I've seen it before. Rock and roll before. never dies. It just kind of goes into yeah. hiding and then rears its ugly head again and comes back with something brand new and refreshing, right? Right. And somebody, somebody in those bands was thinking outside the box. Nice. And, you know, I think some of these bands didn't know there was a box. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. We got some really original, original, original stuff that really was viable. And when you see the show, you'll see what I mean. Can't wait. Well, Alice, this has been great. And I have to tell you, with my stint at Warner Brothers, I got a chance to work with some pretty big bands, but I have so much admiration for you. Respect. Yep. And I can't wait for the show. And L.A. and I would love to come say hi to you afterwards when you're here in Austin. And thank you very much for calling in. It's been a great show, and thank Toby for helping set it up. Yeah. And yeah, uh, well, you know, you know, you guys have always got the golden backstage pass. You know, all you have to do is just show up. <laughs> Call Toby, and it's done. Thanks. Excellent. And if if we could interview Shep, I mean, that would be so much fun because right. he's just such a fascinating guy. And I swear to God, it didn't matter who we talked to at Warner Brothers, whatever level they were. It all came back to how much admiration they had for you as a rocker and a man, and what a great manager Shep Gordon was. Sure. Well, Shep is as much of a icon as I am. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's he's become that because there are so many great stories about Shep, and I can I'm just scratching the surface. You got to remember, he also managed Raquel Welsh, Groucho Marx. Oh my I mean, god! I didn't know that. I didn't I mean, know that either. That, yeah, Blondie, uh, the Gypsy Kings, 
Luther Vandross. It goes right down the list. And, you know, as they mentioned you know. in the documentary, how he made uh, these uh, Emerald, chefs, yeah. chefs superstars, you know? No one had thought about Which that. was fantastic. Yeah. Really. Emerald he, and he all them. He looks at it. He looks at the business a way that nobody looks at it. He sees the over, overview of it. And then he kind of deconstructs it and, see, and sees what makes it work. Yeah. And, he, you know, he'll be very logical about somebody will come in and say, I want you to manage me, and he'll look at it and he'll go, no, <laughs> and the re- and why it's just well, I don't see where it's where it can go with what you're doing. It has a dead end, right? And with and then other people will come in and they'll go, ah, okay, I see where this could go. Mm-hmm. You know, we brought up the talking that, in, that interests him. Yeah, we brought up the talking heads, and if if I remember correctly, wasn't that his first uh, foray into the uh, movies? Was stop making sense with the talking heads? Yeah, he, yeah he, he, the funny thing about Shep is he produced four horror movies. And really? he's never seen them because he hates horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> the People Under the Stairs, They Live, Shocker, all these movies he did with Wes Craven and Crazy. You know, John Carpenter and all this. And he's never seen, in fact, he said he, was, he came into the room one day and his... His, uh, his, his uh, daughter and my daughter, and they, we were watching one of the movies, and he walked in and he says, how can you watch this crap? And they said, uh, Dad, yeah, he said, you produced this. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. That's funny. It's so great to have you. Thanks again. And yeah. I cannot wait to see the show. And, um, Lloyd, you're going to be playing this on the on KLBJ. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely cover this interview on KLBJ to get it out there. And hopefully this one will sell out way in advance. And, of course, we'll have it uh, out there for our podcast listeners. So, it, as always, Alice, thank you so much for going in-depth on so many different subjects and uh, making us laugh. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. You know, it's it's like people were to say, "Rocket, this." You know, when this whole thing starts up again, it's never going to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, "Yeah, it's going to be bigger, better, bigger <laughs> and better." Smaller. People be want bigger. it. I think everyone <laughs> got humbled. I think the whole uh, planet got a bit humbled. Yeah. It. It. You know, if if that's what happened, good. Yeah. yeah I agree. Yeah. <laughs> totally well, agree. Thank you, Alice. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. And I'll see you in Austin. Yes. You got it, brother. Yes. Bye-bye. Promotion Man, the true backstories of the most iconic bands in the world, told by Fred Myers and interviewed by me, L.A. Lloyd. Get involved and interact on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find the links at promotion-man.com. That's promotion-man.com. Download the weekly Promotion Man podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. We appreciate you subscribing and spreading the word, and thanks for listening.